Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, April 7th. Before we get to another edition of Technique Tuesdays with my Tennis HQ's carousel, I want to talk about some of the narratives that have emerged from the professional tennis ranks, things like compensation, things like events that may go on in the meantime, some world team tennis news all emerging throughout the day on tennis Twitter and throughout tennis media. But of course, the reason we're able to do these podcasts every day, and the first thing I have to tell you listeners about, is our friends at Diadem Sports. They help tennis players across the globe elevate their game by designing the most innovative performance tennis gear on the planet, but you already knew that. You already know. Whether your game commands power and explosiveness, precision and control, Diadem will have the best options to help you take your game to the next level. You know about their five sets of strings. You know about their premier tennis balls, their incredible swag, which you can see me wearing on multiple Cracked Rackets YouTube videos over these past couple of weeks. I don't need to tell you all about that. What I will tell you is we're all hurting right now financially. Certainly, tennis is on the back of many of our minds, but you know whether you're hitting against your wall, whether you are at a place where you somehow have a court in your background. And Mazel Tov to you. You have a tennis court in your backyard. You did something right. Uh, you still need to trust yourself to the right company. So go to diademsports.com. And right now, you use our promo code CR50. You'll get 50% off all of your tennis needs. And of course, tennis needs for so many of us, again, not on the top of our minds. But it's great to know, and we are so grateful here at Diet, uh, at Cracked Rackets, that we know our friends at Diadem Sports have our back, that they're going to help us through these tough times. And again, you go to their website, diademsports.com, use that promo code CR50, you, it's your one-stop shop for all of your tennis needs. They are so helpful to us. The least we can do is tell you guys about them and ask that you go support them as well. So diademsports.com, that promo code CR50. Now, Let's get to the news because, again, a really fun event was announced earlier today. The uh, Mutual Madrid Open, uh, you know, this year not playing on the schedule dates, postponed, not canceled yet, but postponed. But they announced some excellent news. They're going to play their event online, and it's going to see the biggest ATP Tour and WTA stars square off from their homes in a unique competition. And, you know, if Super Producer Daniel Westoff was in, not in his room right now, he would laugh at me because he knows I get mad when the year word unique is used incorrectly. If something's going to be unique, it better be one of a kind. And I'll tell you this, for the Madrid Open, their event is one of a kind. What they are doing this year, announcing uh, that the organ- they're announcing the creation of the Mutual Madrid Open Virtual Pro, an innovative tournament that will be a virtual replica of the tennis competition with the world's biggest tennis stars squaring off from their own homes. The news means that the biggest ATP and WTA stars will clash in a Manolo 
Santana Stadium recreated in exquisite detail in the Tennis World Tour video game while swapping their rackets for a game controller. Uh, Feliciano Lopez, the tournament director, announced the idea. They said the birth of the Mutua Madrid Open Virtual Pro highlights the tournament's technological, youthful, and innovative side, which has been one of its hallmarks since it began in 2009. They've organized a tournament, and again, I'm skipping through the quotes here. Uh, They've organized a tournament for the professional players that is as true to the conventional Madrid Open as possible without them having to leave their home. And its goal is not just to entertain. We want to do our part during this period, which is so difficult for everyone. It will be the first of its kind for the ATP Tour, providing an exciting and new way for players and fans to engage with our sport. Uh, They're particularly pleased that funds raised from the initiative will contribute towards supporting the Wired Playing Group, which is critical during these times. And yeah, you know, it's the same thing. It's a unique and creative way of engaging the WTA athletes and their fans during this unprecedented time, says WTA Chairman and CEO Steve Simon. He, you know, we look forward to the virtual game, which can serve as a fun source of entertainment while at the same time helping to bridge the gap until live tennis returns while also providing opportunities to those players in need during this challenging time. Now, you might be asking, so what is this going to look like? Uh, The tournament will include a purse of 150,000 euros, which the winners will decide how much they donate to the tennis players currently suffering economically, an additional 50,000 euros that will all go towards reducing the social impact of COVID-19. There's going to be 16 players in each of two draws divided into four groups. The champion of each group progresses to the quarterfinals, uh, which will also include the runner-up from each group. And then from there, it's a knockout. Um, and again, uh, this is different. Uh, you know, All fans will be able to follow the tournament online, on television, on the Mutual Madrid Open social media, uh, which will have a production that include commentary, analysis, highlight programs, interviews. Uh, they have not yet announced uh, the participants, but you know they are uh, in including the group uh, Wabedia, the leading group in digital entertainment. And let's just say this is different. This is creative. This is the sort of content we've all been looking for in a time like this. We're all desperate, I'm sure, for new tennis. It's fun watching old matches. And, of course, we all want to do our part right now to stay safe. But this is awesome. I mean, I don't even know. What is virtual tennis? What is this going to look like? I don't think I've ever played virtual tennis. The, you know, tennis, one of its flaws, and I'm not the first to point it out, it's never had the most captivating video game. I played Top Spin and Top Spin 2 on the GameCube, and maybe on the Xbox. Uh, but beyond that, you know, after the Top Spin series, I stopped playing tennis video games. Now I'm not the biggest gamer, uh, but, you know, we played Mario Tennis for an over-serve segment we did uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, and... You know, that's about as good as it gets. I, I remember playing a tennis Mario game on my Game Boy when I was like six. Uh, but, you know, in 2020, there's no dominant uh, tennis video game out there. So to get to see some virtual tennis, whatever it may be, not only great for our brand and as a sport, but just great to see them innovating, great to do- see them doing something creative. And above all else, great to see uh, the tournament trying to figure out a way to give money to those players and just so many who have been impacted by uh, the coronavirus pandemic pandemic so pro you know as we like to say hey great shot to the mutual madrid open yeah well done to them that is an excellent piece of news and exciting it gives us something you know we're going to have something to talk about something new uh that we haven't seen before so that's going to be a really cool event and we are looking forward to that here at crack rackets if you listen to this mini break podcast every day you know we talked to world team tennis ceo carlos silva on friday before this past weekend's unveiling of the wtt celebrity all-star game uh Carlos had mentioned they would have an update on their 
season, which is scheduled to begin on July 12th. Uh, if you remember, the ATPWTA pushed back their restart date until July 13th, so Obviously, there's some conflict there, but World Team Tennis saying we continue to monitor the coronavirus closely as it continues to have a profound impact on the world, including sports events like ours. They remain hopeful that the season will begin on time on July 12th uh, and that they will get to play their playoffs in the Las Vegas Orleans Arena on August 1st and August 2nd, uh, but that they will keep their, you know, everyone updated and there will be another update no later than the first week of May. So that's a bit of good news, a bit of a tricky one, and then we'll get to our interview, I promise but uh today the atp you know of courtesy of john wertheim and courtesy i believe also of quentin minette uh, of l'equipe france uh you know there was an announcement that the uh tennis i think the french management from eton and prince was putting together a tennis solidarity fund in in uh compliance and alongside of the atp the wt and the itf uh to explore options for the financial support of respective you know of the many players on tour during this time uh but the at uh, you know the powers that be came out today i believe it was from uh i'm not sure again this is from john wertheim reporting and he said uh you know dear all we understand that some of you have received a letter from anton prince about a tennis solidarity fund the letter implies they're working with them but that is not correct while each of atp wta and itf are exploring options for the financial support of our respective player members during this difficult time we have no affiliation with auton and price During this time, we expect that you will be approached with various offers of financial relief. We recommend that you be cautious and confirm the legitimacy of any unsolicited approaches that you receive before you decide to pursue them. So what that tells me is the ATP, the WTA, and the ITF, and you know we had an interview I think with Player Council Member uh, WTA Player Council Member Christian that comes out today where we talk about those sorts of things. But that's concerning, certainly, and you know obviously. Uh, you would hope that the end it's a very complicated situation it's going to remain to be complicated thoughts of pro players unionizing are not new Uh, certainly they've been amplified during this time but ideas of universal basic income being paid based on your ranking at the beginning of the year then every additional win you earn being a supplemental income to that initial money that you make Uh, these are all not new things but in a time like this certainly the calls for them again are amplified uh, but that's really concerning, you know, that Aton and Price, I, I, I don't, I can't speak, you know, I don't have any firsthand sourcing, um, but anyone who's trying to take advantage of these situations to try and get pl- players to falsely buy in, that's disgusting. It's also, again, unfortunate that the ATP, the WT, and the ITF haven't been able to come up with a solution, but there are so many financial interests at stake, tournaments that might have to fold if they don't get to play their events this year. You know, players at the lower rungs of the rankings who just financially, after the hit they take, they're not going to be able to come back. It, it speaks to the, again, the downside of this pandemic. There are so many, uh, you know, well beyond tennis as well. And again, we hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. We hope these Cracked Rackets podcasts are providing you some sort of distraction in your daily life. Uh, and I feel like now these daily monologues I put in before each podcast have become a staple as well. So that's part of my coping me- mechanism. I apologize for that. Without further ado, let's hear from our guest today, Carousel from My Tennis HQ, for another edition of Technique Tuesday.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining me for another edition of Technique Tuesday, you of course know him as a former UCLA standout player, a guy who reached the top 400 back in 2018, and of course one of the co-founders of My Tennis HQ, Carousel. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me back. I'm doing well. I, uh, I've i been getting to deep dive on some of... We've had projects in the queue, right? And since there's no live tennis, it's time to get to those projects. If you're not going to do them now, you're never going to do them. And so it was one of those project-filled days for me. So I, I feel accomplished, although I started singing what, uh, you know, the Kanye West song, The Beautiful Morning. And it's because yeah. I had interviews from 12 to 5, and super producer Danny Westoff goes, Alex, 5 p.m. is not the morning. And it was like, well, you know, I've been doing this my whole day, so it still felt like... More morning to me uh but that's where my head's at i guess there you go i mean as long as you're staying busy that's that's already something right it feels accomplished about something (laughs) yeah no absolutely and we were joking about this before the only thing i miss you know more than human interaction is vegetables they're just few and far between at this point exactly Uh, you take those for granted right now no, it's unbelievable. All of the little things I take for granted. It's like even if you're running, you know, on and I'm, you know, again, maintain social distance, keep a safe yeah. physical distance. If running isn't possible in your area, don't do it. Uh, all of that, you know, it, where I live, it's more spaced out. You can run and still keep a six yeah. foot distance, but it's like you're running past someone and you want to wave. And I'm like, wait, should I not wave? Like, should I just keep my head down, look forward? It, it, yeah. it might be starting to get to my head a little bit. Yeah, it, it, yeah, we're starting to get to that point. Someone said this next, this week or next week is supposed to be the worst month. I don't know. I don't know. No, for sure. Um, I, I would, yeah, you know, at this point, it's, you know, we all just keep your head down. And, you know, the reason I enjoy doing these podcast conversations so much at this point is because anytime I can talk on the phone with anyone, it just feels normal. Again, it's nice to just have these conversations. And, of course, that's why we are thrilled to have you back on the show today for another edition of Technique Tuesday. Um, you know, the article we're going to talk about today tennis the split step a comprehensive guide and there are videos included at the article in the article as well but before we get into that article specifically you guys are up to some really cool stuff at my tennis hq i saw all the interviews over the past week you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that yeah i mean we obviously you know me and Guy who started it, and austin obviously one of our team members now we we play college and i think college tennis it's it's a big passion of ours just in general i think uh you know, in terms of development, in terms of of everything. So we, but we all kind of have, it's kind of funny because we, there's always that what if, like what if I had gone to, you know, University of Texas or the what if, you know what I mean? There's always like different experiences and, and you, you assume that, that experiences are much different. And I think that's where a lot of juniors and parents are concerned. Like, oh, if he goes here, like it's going to be much better this way or that way. And, and when you, you know, talk to people and you see like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the experiences are very similar and a lot of the, um, the thought process, the, the, the maturing, everything, it is somewhat similar, but everyone has their unique 
story. So we came up with these seven questions to ask a bunch of people. So we, we, not just for the readers, but for us to see like, oh, this is, this is something that came up a lot more. This is something that is unique to this player or that player. So I think it's been really interesting. Like just for this first week of interviews, we see, you know, a lot of people, I mean, we made a question about, you know, just the social life in college and we see, you know, some people saying, hey, you got to really balance that and put your priorities together uh, with social life. But then we have someone like, you know, Cam Norrie just saying, man, enjoy it. Work hard, play hard, um, because it's only four years that you have that. So, you know what I mean? It's like everyone has their different mindsets and they, they, they know what works for them. And and I've, I've just been finding it very interesting reading it. And I think it's pretty interesting for, for you know, parents, players, coaches, anyone to, to, to read them. So go check that that out if you have the time. Well, we all have yeah. the time. So go check it out. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. That is the one, po- I mean, positive. Uh, you're trying to find positives in all of the negatives that have come with this. Much more time for reading. Much more exactly. time for research. I did a pod yesterday on the mini break. I was doing some research on 91 to 93 Jim Courier, whose stats are just absurd during that time period and it's like so funny. yeah i know that's pretty random but it was yeah. it was for me you know that little i'll say two and a half season stretch because it really ended by wimbledon 93 uh, and yeah. sorry to our listeners who have to hear this again but it's just it's not quite Djokovic nadal best years level and i do say their best years are the best years in tennis history no disrespect to roger federer who totality wise again we don't have to get into this right now um but you know courier it's it's if it's not it's not quite Djokovic Nadal but it's the next best thing it's that level two of it's like oh my god this guy won the sunshine double and the French Open in this stretch of time he went I think it was something like 45 and 5 at the start of his 92 season which like come on it's not 42 and 0 but it's pretty damn close yeah that's that's damn good (laughs) yeah and so not to get us too far off track and yeah I I don't want to give away the entire uh, interview series because again go check it out at mytennishq.com but I do think it's always fascinating, especially now with all of the uncertainty surrounding the pro tour. And, you know, I feel yeah. like what this has done for all of us is showed that uncertainty is a part of life and you want to be prepared for as the maximum amount of possible scenarios, you know, in your life that could occur. And to hear all of these players talk about their time in college, which, if you don't mind me sharing, is the theme of the series is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really have enjoyed that. I feel like for you guys, even though not all of you went to the same school on the yeah. pro tour, there does seem to be a, you know, a college tennis community. Is that fair? It does. It was actually like one of the first things I noticed when I started playing um, in like 2017, I started playing and I was like, Oh, you know, these are all guys that we, you know, we battled and we were just like, Oh, that guy's a for this guy is whatever. And, 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 but then once we were playing on the tour, um, it was just kind of like we felt like, oh, we have that college thing. I oh, remember this, remember that time, and then it just became a thing. And I, I it was kind of unspoken. I don't think a lot of people like really put too much thought of it, but but it is. It's there. It's actually really in a, in a very lonely um, sport. I mean, from being you know around the top pros, it can be fairly, you know, you just kind of do your thing, be with your team. And I'm out there, especially traveling in Naomi, and I know a lot of people. I'll go, you know, it's not like they're my best friends, but they're, they're just, they, we have that thing. We're talking, we, we'll, we'll catch up, and not just like my friends from UCLA, but from people from, you know, a bunch of different 
schools. So it is it is a, a nice thing to have, I think, especially coming off, you know, college going into a, the pro tour again that you're just by yourself. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. Last tangent question, I swear. Who did you have the biggest misconception about? Because I'm just going to say his name. He's come on our show multiple times. I'm quite fond of him as an individual, and if he wants to call me out for saying this, that's fine. Uh, But I feel like if you're not on Ty Kwiatkowski's team, you thought he was just the biggest in the world. And, like, you know, now that I know him, he's not an asshole. He's actually a really nice guy. And I'm curious, who for you is it like, and maybe you're not comfortable saying it, in which case you can just oh, no, I'm, I'm shut up. Oh, no, I'm fine. Um, Ty, I'll give it to you. I haven't really, like, put too much thought on Ty. I knew he was like, I mean, he could be pretty fierce on the court. So that can, that can, you know, rub people the wrong way, especially in college. So I could probably, you know, if I look back, but I, we, we barely played UVA, to be honest. So I can't really. Um, thanks for much. Besides that, you know, the 2013 where he wasn't even there. Um, but I remember just having this conversation with Austin Smith. Um, that played at Georgia, like top. I think it was like you know number one and two. And he was he wasn't even playing, but we were we met at Indian Wells like a few years ago, and he was with someone there, and we were like, "Oh, what's up, dude? What is ever? How's everything? Blah blah. We're just catching up." Yeah, bro. Like you're such a in college. I was like, "Yeah, you know, I thought you were a huge dude." So we had this whole conversation, but it was like, you know, it's part of it. You know what I mean? We're representing our team. We're trying to get in people's head. I remember like Mackie played him, I think two or three times that year. Um, and they had a couple closed ones, but Mackie always won it. And so it was always like, you know what I mean? I was like, ah, oh, yeah, Mackie's just taking this down. But like, it was like, you know, we the thing is we always make, you know, we will make our decision or, our, you know, our judgment on nothing. We don't know the people. We just see what we see on the court. I mean, I, I, a hundred percent sure everyone thought it was a and i i embraced it um and because i i was just kind of like you know a little bit arrogant on the court i didn't do anything bad but you know uh you know i'll look into the crowd and whatnot and so you know it'll be it's just this is just you do so um so you know it, it just happens but at the end of the day it's like you know we're all part of like something that i find very special so you know regardless if we end up at ucla or usc or or whatever uva i think the experiences um are always like somewhat similar there's always like that because it's just the the timing of you know 18 to 22 in our life that is um is just really you're growing and there's a lot going on so i think it's, it's fun yeah, it's a big fraternity for all of you guys yeah. out there. Yeah, you all did the same thing. And I, I won't reveal any names, but just on that theme, because it's a fun story. I was at Kalamazoo last year, and I want to get the invite back this year, so I'm not going to say who did what. But I went to this all-coaches dinner, um, and it was at this restaurant. The USTA had rented it out. It was a really cool event. But to see, because, you know, college coaches, a lot of them played, especially nowadays, a lot of the assistants who were there all played. And I'm not, you know, there were some clicks. You could tell certain guys who played at the same school who are now all coaching were hanging out with their former yeah. teammates. But in general, just to see how hammered everyone was and just like how <laughs> friendly everyone became, yeah. it was phenomenal. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I also forget half of you were homeschooled. Like, this is great. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I wasn't really homeschooled until like the end of my junior career but a lot of people were homeschooled from early on so um you know going to school and building that community it's uh i think it's really important that's why uh, you know i i I don't advise homeschooling but unless you're like incredibly good but 
So yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is a big community. There's the you know, the, I'm sure there's the coach rival rivalry, and there you know, this guy's doing this or that guy's doing that, and how the f- they you know able to to do this and that. But I know this is from another for another podcast to be honest. Yeah, no, that's true. And I and again, I don't mean anything against homeschooling. It's a perfectly decision. If yeah. you're good enough at tennis that you can focus on it full time, go yeah, I mean, work. Yeah, you, I mean, I I got to the point that I was traveling so much I couldn't go to school my last yeah. my last year of high school. But you mm-hmm. know, I just think from like ten years old or twelve years old, it's not really the yeah. ideal thing. And yeah, and you know, again, that was just my. There was one coach in particular, a prominent coach. Again, I'm not going to no. say a name, but he was the life of the party, and just the yeah. most unexpected too. I was like, no way. And then once I saw him like this, all the pieces started to come together. I was like, oh, actually, this makes a ton of sense. Uh, and so, anyways, that's my reflections. That's what you can do when you have more time self quarantine. You can reflect on <laughs> past experiences. And one thing I reflected on after reading this week's my tennis HQ article that we're going to breakdown is i wish i spent more time working on my footwork the article we are talking about today again tennis split step a comprehensive guide with videos and you know first of all i I don't know i'll get to that tangent in a second but let's start there why why was this the component of footwork that you you know why did this deserve its own piece in your mind i just think i mean from experience i think um, you know working with with kids and working i mean literally working with anyone we're watching tennis just in general uh you can tell how great movers have good great split steps and how i think fundamentally i I, again i don't i don't i don't want to like there's whoever is coaching out there they have their own thoughts of it but i just thought from my experience working with people that it's almost something that people forgot it's like like why aren't why isn't anyone teaching these kids how to split step correctly or in their proper time. And I'm, it makes them so much slower. There's no rhythm. I think split steps adds a lot of rhythm to, to, to your footwork. And, and, and tennis is a rhythm sport. Like, you know, it's auto accelerating, braking and making sure you're in, in control of your body and, and split steps really, really, uh, you know, help you having your body under control. Uh, so you can move quickly. So in my head, like I've seen that so much that I was just like, I just need to write something a little bit about it. And I don't think that's, I think we're going to really get into it. Those things, the, the, the split step is not, I think like I did a more, you know, sup, you know, it's like surface guide. It's not necessarily that deep yet. And I think there's a lot more that can be, be said uh, about it. But yeah, it's just something that I, I find it really important. And I think people kind of often forget it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that require nuance, right? It's not as yeah. simple as just "Hey, spread open your feet before the person yeah. hits." It's yeah. and there's it's timing, and I do want to talk about all of that. Yeah. But how much was this article just an excuse to show you playing at night on Rod Laver Arena? Um, I mean, ninety percent, I would say. It's just like, <laughs> "Hey, look at me! I play at Cool Chords now." <laughs> Because that video alone, I, I'm literally I'm scrolling down and you know it starts off with a fit, picture of Federer, who I do want to ask, do you think he has the best split step uh, of any player out there right now? But yeah. literally, you know, you're scrolling down and it's the split step, and then I just see this guy in a backwards hat rocking a diadem racket, which you know, again, sponsor yeah. of Cracked Racket, oh. so we only have <laughs> kind things to say about them here, and it's just an empty. Rod Laver Arena. And, like, again, I, I we shouldn't get side I because this is a fascinating article. But yeah. empty stadium has to be something. 
Oh yeah, it was it was it was pretty crazy. I I I, I don't know how much the team enjoyed me bringing a camera everywhere, but I told them <laughs> I was like, bro, I'm filming this. I don't know when that's gonna happen again. We it did happen a couple of days later. We we hit on it again, um, but it was just crazy. I was just like a little kid. I was like, oh, this is amazing. The 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 roof was closed because of the the, the Australian fires at the time. So the whole thing was just like it was, it was just kind of crazy. So no, it's, um, a beautiful, it's a beautiful yeah. video. I was gonna say, and it it what anything is the spotlight accentuates your split step so well. And I feel uh, yeah, like yeah. You, yeah, you're if you're playing on a court like that, you want to do all the little things well. But uh, you know, for our listeners, you sort of got into it. But you know, what exactly is the split step, and you know, how important is the timing of your split step to the rest of your movement ability on the court? Well, I think one, the first thing is um, this: it, when we're split stepping, it, it really helps us. Um, you know that you. It's like a little bit of a jump. It's not necessarily too high. It doesn't have to be too high. But as you're as you're landing and your opponent is hitting, you're able to kind of use that momentum to push yourself to whatever direction the ball goes, right? Because at the end of the day, um, I think a lot of players just the split steps make you be makes your body be very neutral. And and once you're um, once you see where the ball is going, uh, you're able to move there faster than if you're just kind of like either standing on your on your heels or if you just kind of prepare to already hit a shot does that make sense if you're someone's hitting a ball and you're already like oh it's going to come to my forehand and then it comes to my back and then you're like well you should be on a ready position split stepping so you can go there because at the end of the day the other person is the ball who's deciding how you're going to hit the next ball it's not you, it's the person who's hitting the ball to you. So that ball that's coming to you is going to decide. So you need to split step so you're ready to do to move accordingly to how the ball is coming to you. So I, I just think, you know, once one, you got to time it properly because if you do too early, you're going to be kind of like you're going to be on the ground for too long and you're going to kind of like be on your heels because the split sets make you kind of like move like a spring, right? You go down, but then you move up really quickly. So you got to time it correctly. So you land and then you move, you land and you move. So, and, and I think a lot of people just kind of forget that. Honestly, anything in between that, uh, in between the split, the split step, it's not really that necessary. You just we hit the ball, recover to the middle. That's basic. But you don't need to be like moving your feet like crazy as long as your split steps are good and your first steps off the split step are quick. You should you're probably going to be a good mover if you watch like Pognini or someone like that. He's not moving a lot his feet in between the shots besides moving back to the middle. It's not like he's on his toes like crazy, but then he split step really really well and quickly uh, you know moves to the ball. Um, so that first step off the split step is really fast, which is something that we'll eventually uh, write about. But, you know, having that time properly is going to make you just move. It, it's just easier to move. That's I mean, that that's the basics of it. It just makes it much easier to move. And if you're not doing it, you, it it's just harder to move. You're just going to look slow. As you used a term there that I think a lot of 
you know, from beginner to intermediate, you know, as you get higher and higher up the ranks, it becomes more nuanced. But the term the ready position is something I'm sure anyone who's played tennis has heard at some point in your life. And, you know, I feel like there is a difference between being ready for a ball uh, and just moving your feet back to the center and that split step. And you talked about it in the article as using it as a change of direction and, you know, how it affords you the ability to do that. Would you say that's, you know, is it fair to say the purpose of the split step is to reset your balance is to you know prepare yourself for the next shot and you know why is it important that it's a split step because you know for so many people you're you're on the run and you're like you, you have to at a certain point use anticipation skills and just say you know I think this yeah. is where he's going to go um but yeah. why is it how does the split step you know how how does it differ from just the ready position what is its purpose well, I think it's like, so it's just like you said, I think the split step makes your body be very neutral. The problem is to, when you become a, when you're moving, there's people who are fast. And I say in the article, there's people who are fast. You can see they're fast on the court, but they don't have any control of their bodies. So it, it's really hard for me to change direction. Let's say to, if I'm going from my forehand corner and I'm moving back to the middle and the person hits them back to my forehand corner, um, and, you know, behind me. If I have all my momentum going towards my left side, towards my back inside, um, by the time the person hits the ball, it's going to be really hard for me to change my body back to the forehand side. I need to be in a neutral position. My body has no momentum going anywhere uh, besides going loading my legs and then using the that load to kind of spring me, push me out in whatever direction the ball comes. And I think I put a video there of Feather that, you know, he plays a point where he's like, he, he gets on the run, on the forehand side, returns almost back to the middle. But instead of returning all the way back to the middle, um, he's, he split steps before he comes back to the middle because his opponent's already hitting the ball. And that is more important than actually making back to the middle. Because if you're still running back to the middle without split stepping, the person who's behind you it's over. There's no, there's no way you can like come back and go back in, uh, in time to get that ball. So split stepping just makes you really ready for anything that's happening. It's like being, you know, a goalie or whatever. You're just like in that ready position. It's like, okay, I need to jump whatever way that ball comes. Um, and so, you know, just being neutral, being using your legs to move quickly. And I think that's really important. Otherwise you just, you just, sluggish on the court doesn't matter how fast you can run straight or laterally um if you can break it's just not gonna it's not gonna work out yeah and that gets back to this idea and something you know i've heard in my life of you know in tennis is it more important to you talk about foot speed you know it's more important to have quick smaller steps right it's not about the big lunges and you know we get to see the top pros pros slide across the corner they're the best of the best but for the 99.9 percent of other tennis players you know it's about small steps on the tennis court right yeah i mean i think obviously like we tennis is like you said for the for the top one percent um, there's all sorts of like you know different different things they're doing on the court that we, we don't really want to get into it too much. But when I say split step, especially on um, a beginner level, even you know good juniors that are not doing properly, you can see if you do that correctly and then time it well, um, how much better your split or your footwork just in general can become. 
um, just by fixing that thing, just by fixing your split step. Well, I think, yes, small steps are, are important, um, especially, you know, if the balls aren't coming as big and you're not playing, you know, at, at, a, at, at a top 500 or top 100 level. But um, just in general, it's like when you move on a tennis court, you want to, it's almost like, it, it, it needs you need the same way you need to repeat your forehand or your backhand you know it needs to be a, a stroke that you can repeat over and over and over your footwork should be kind of the same so split step and then that ball comes off the person's racket the opponent's racket and you know oh it's coming you know deep and a couple steps to my right so you know the how many steps you're going to give that way hit how many steps you're going to give back split step you know what i mean and and the more you play, the more you feel that it's like, oh, that ball is coming wide and and uh, wide to my forehand and deep. I'm gonna have to give this many steps, um, and then reach, hit it, recover this many steps, split step. You know what I mean? It needs to be almost sort of like a dance, and that's why I use a lot of feather in that because, I mean, you can tell he has so much control of that. You know what I mean? I know Rafa and Novak are probably maybe quicker or you know, maybe better on the run. I'd say. But in terms of like, you know, being smooth on the court, and it's like it, it, it seems like he knows exactly uh, how many steps he's gonna give each time to each ball. Doesn't matter how the, how fast or wide or short or deep the ball is coming. So I think that's very important, and, and we're all different that way, right? We some people need more steps, some people are smoother with you know a couple bigger steps, maybe maybe you're taller, maybe you're shorter. It really depends on the person that way. But knowing that if you split step correctly and you off that first step, there's three steps really: the split step, the first step moving to the ball, and the first step recovering from the ball are really important. Everything in between, it's kind of like, you know, personal preference. There's obviously certain things that are good, better for you to do. Some things that are worse. But overall, if you if you have if you're able to nail those three especially for people in a you know beginner intermediate level you're just going to be better at moving mm-hmm. no and you know so often we hear the term and you brought it up with roger federer his movement right is often characterized as efficient i yeah. feel like the efficiency for movement starts with that split step right because yeah. it keeps you from being out of balance it keeps you from yeah. being just all over the place it keeps your body centered and in control and mm-hmm. you know as i mentioned you guys show video in this uh in your article of demonstrations of the exact sort of footwork you are talking about and i know you hyperlink some workouts that you would suggest but you know, what specific drills do you think are most effective for developing the sort of, you know, nuanced footwork, in this case, the split step needed uh, to move quicker on the tennis court? And then, you know, for young developing players, you know, percentages are hard, but is it fair to say it's equally important to work on the efficiency, the effectiveness of your footwork as it is to work on hitting the ball bigger and working on your strokes? I think I think it gets to a level that, um, <laughs> if anything, I think it, in the beginning, well, once you're starting kind of your tennis journey, obviously you need to learn how to hit. So you put way more more emphasis on that work, and that's totally fine. But then I think he, it, people, I think players hit, reach a point that they're like, oh, I know how to hit the ball, but why can't I hit this ball better? Or why can't I do this? And they, they're thinking is their stroke, and maybe they overthink their stroke and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it it is really um, 
you know, helping. If the footwork was better, they would be in a better position. They would be able to hit their stroke um, that they already know better, especially during match play. So um, I think that it, it depends on the timeline of where, where you at, where you are on your tennis journey. But for most people who started three, two, five, ten years, even ten years ago, um, that would go a long way and footwork i mean i remember as a junior doing a lot of those things um you know just jumping hurdles um it just in general being being able to i mean at the end of the day the drills is just really timing um timing it properly so i think hand feeding is usually a good a good way to do it if you're if you're struggling with with you know during match play um you know you jump over a hurdle um a little hurdle and someone times the feed as you're, you know, landing. So you're able to like, you know, land and move quickly to, to the ball. That's always like an easy thing to do um, with, uh, with any player. Um, and uh, I do that a lot with juniors usually, uh, you know, jump a hurdle or whatever you think they have to jump, jump. And you're going to, as you're going to land, making contact with the ball or your friend, or doesn't have to be your opponent. You're just rallying maybe, but just, Making sure, you know, in between you hit a ball, in between you have a couple, you know, you are never on your heels, always trying to be on your toes a little bit. But, you know, time that – you keep watching the ball so you can time it as your opponent is hitting. But then you can move quickly to the ball. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And for you, again, we've talked about the timing, but in your opinion, uh, when should someone start their split step? And, I again – to read all about this, go to mytennishq.com, the article, Tennis Split Step, a comprehensive guide with videos. But in your opinion, does that split start split step happen before your other the other player hits? Does it happen as he's setting, as he's making contact? In your opinion, when should a player split step? Well, I think a lot of what well, can be confusing, it's like you can, I think, and I'm guilty of that too, is just saying like, oh, you've got a split step uh, when I'm hitting the ball. And then what happens is, uh, usually, for for the most part, people are late on the their split steps, not early. So they will jump, so they'll be hopping up as uh, I'm already making contact with the ball, and that you know if you're still kind of either going up a little bit or you're kind of at your peak, um, and that's going to be too late. So, in I mean, in my opinion, um, as I'm making contact with the ball. Um, you should be already you're like kind of the tip of your of your you know, like your toes should be like starting to hit the ground again after your hop. Does that make sense? So as I'm hitting, um, the tips are are touching. Obviously, this happens really quickly, and then you're gonna like be be loaded as the ball gets out of my racket, and then from that point, you know where the ball is going, right? And I can quickly turn either way i can my you know my my legs will turn and i'll move that i give an example of that so your hop should probably start um around the time i'm i'm starting my you know my from the top of my swing um and i'm making starting to make my way to the ball with my racket that's you probably you're going to start your split step and then by the time i'm touching the ball you're already your tip the tip of your of your toes is touching the ground and you're landing the ball is going to come off my rack you're going to you know you're going to know the direction and you're going to um 
move towards where the ball is. So you can use that momentum to push yourself that way. Mm-hmm. And the key is wow. to time, time the momentum to move. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if you just land and you're just there, landed but with your legs bent, but you're just there, you didn't use that, then there was no point of making a split step. That's kind of the, the point of it. No, I, I think that's fair. And for anyone who wants to go out and we're all watching old matches, watching as much tennis as we can at this point. But in your opinion, if you were telling a player, hey, go study this player's foot, footwork, go study this player's split step, who would you turn to? Feder. Yeah, that's um, the obvious one, right? Probably Feder. Um, I think you, obviously you watch, at the end of the day, you can watch top three. But I think Feder has, because he has the most, like, he has a very like you can see it really well. Like he comes back and he has his is actually fairly high. Um, if you, you you look at some of the other ones, I don't I don't know. If, honestly, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I, I kind of watched like I just kind of watched Roger my entire life doing that. <laughs> so so he is my go-to. Like I and really paid because Rafa is way more intense. Um, and so obviously as players, we end up copying people that we, we love. So for me, it was always Roger. He just seems like he had such a flow with it. Um, that is like, he's so efficient. Like why, why am I giving, you know, try to watch Steffi Graf playing tennis and watch her like hit a slice and give 17 unnecessary steps. Or even last, it wasn't as quick, but now it's so quick. There's no time for wasting uh, to waste with with sorry there's people banging on on um can you hear this yeah you know i was gonna say i hear something in the background <laughs> yeah there's people banging on it's like eight o'clock everyone screams and bangs on pen now it's a it's a whole thing sorry i like that no it's for yeah. the responders west off yeah. leave that in for sure yeah. um That's but funny. go ahead um so it's like you know i think efficiency is really key obviously um, and again, if you do look at Federer, I, I think the misconception was always like, oh, yeah, like he doesn't move. And when I was a young kid, I was like, oh, yeah, he doesn't move his feet. I'm like, bro, he's moving his feet all the time. He's always on his toes. He's always – it's perfect. He's always perfect. So, you know, he'll just lands correctly and he's able to like just spring. It's like his legs are springs. He can just move so quickly. So – and I, I, I mean that's the – at the end of the day, he's only playing – at 38 years old right now and he doing what he's doing because he's able to move so well and so efficiently. There's no other, like, there's no argument. Oh yeah. He's, he, his strokes are easy and he's technically really sound, but come on. Like it's just his feet. He's moved so efficiently that, that you can't really, I don't think there's another guy that you can go to that you say like, Oh, this, this guy moves, um, as efficiently as Roger. And again, efficiency is not, you know, it's not that everyone's going to go out and be able to do it like Roger, but, but, um, I think, you know, especially for, for people at lower levels, like that aren't as physically gifted as Rafa or Novak or anyone else, they can be like, Oh, wait, I can, I can, I can make this little hop. I can, I can push myself a little better. I think that would be easier. You know what I mean? Instead of watching Novak getting to, you know, a 400 on the run sliding and, and you know, going with like a full split in his legs, like, that's, that's just like another, another level. You know? 
Yeah, no, without question. I mean, they're all incredible. Again, if you want to see physicality, I'm going to recommend it one more time. I don't have a stake in the match's YouTube highlights, but I should at this point. Um, Murray Djokovic, 2012 Australian Open semifinal. It's just the pinnacle of physicality, in my opinion, on the Pro Tour. Um, But so... Yeah, uh, again, the article, uh, which you guys can all go find on MyTennisHQ.com, Tennis Split Step, a comprehensive guide with videos. You can also find interviews with Petros Risokos, Cam Nori, Sabrina Santamaria, Diego Hidalgo, Luisa Stefani, and Ryan Penniston, as well as more to come. Also, two that caught my eye, fascinating articles. Do tennis players pay tax money on prize money, and how does the prize money system work? Uh, I will say this, and again, we don't have to get political. But if Panama or, you know, the Caymans had a Davis Cup team, they would win every year. Um, and so that is one take on it. But, yeah, I, I thought they were all fascinating articles. So uh, any uh, any other things that you would recommend and for our listeners out there, uh, how do they go see all the stuff? I mean, just uh, just go to my tennis HQ. There's a lot of um... – you know, we just started the college series, so you know the recent articles will be all the interviews. But you know, if you go on on all all of our instructional articles, um, I think we have a tab there. You can scroll through it, find. I mean, we we're doing you know things like this, how we're doing t- more technique. But like you said, we're doing you know you know we're talking about prize money, we're talking about a, a, a bunch of different things that again, uh, I think people are just curious about tennis, like how does it work? Because we're not. You know, we're not the NBA, we're not the, the NFL that we have salaries and, and, and everything just kind of, um, we just, people just understand that everyone knows everyone's contract and how much money each person is making. For us, it's just different, you know what I mean? Each person, it's their own um, individual and especially at the top, uh, how much money these guys are making off appearance fees and 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 sponsorships it's all different so we're all you know we're trying to you know hit all this this spots and and talk a lot of a lot more about tennis just um not only from a a a coaching perspective but just as people who are who played and experienced so um make sure you go check it out because um you know it's good for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's all fascinating, and yeah. that's why we are so excited to be partnered with you guys here at Cracked Rackets. Bonus question for you because we haven't talked about it in a while, and it was on my mind today given something that I was doing. Um, but in your opinion, <clears throat> better UCLA team, and I know we've talked about this before, but I, I've given you more time to ruminate on it. Uh, okay. The 2013 team that made the final or the 14 team that made the semis? Uh. <sighs> <laughs> um man i'm not gonna let you tough. get out of here without the tough questions that is always the toughest one for me dude because i just feel like if we look individually at who you know who did more who did better at, at, at pros like if you look at the, the lineups and it's like okay we'll look at how they did it at pros i think 2013 wins because everyone was like top 400 i think Besides Dennis, but he went to law school, so he didn't. He would have gone. He would have done it too. But that one, that 2014 team was just so good. Ah, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, because we had Mackie. Mackie. I'm, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say. You 13. also had freshman, but freshman Gage, two ACLs, we, just we did have, in. we did have freshman Gage, we did have freshman Gage. Dude, it's a tough one, man. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, thirteen, 
but it's it's a tough one because I just think like you know with having like Mac on the team and Marcus is now pretty much top hundred and you know Clay and I was were top four hundred Adrian was like three fifty, um, but just in general I thought I thought the twenty thirteen team, um, was more confident. Okay, that that's what I would say. Well, I thought we were we had somewhat we had this different edge that on the fourteenth we're closer. We're definitely closer on the fourteenth. But we were, there was, you know, there was, there was just something. And I thought that thir- in the 13, I thought we were going to like 100% win it. Um, I actually thought that we were going to 100% win, win it in 14th as well. But the, the, thir- <laughs> the 13, there was like, uh, there was just something. I, don't, I, can't, I can't even really explain it. There was a lot of in- internal competition. But we really like, I think everyone was like in their A game at all times that season where I thought the 14 we kind of like got sh- like we were shaking some some spot or a certain times of the season. I thought overall the 13 was a bit better. Yeah, that's fair. Again, yeah. this is my daily reminder to you that you guys came 99.9% of the way there. Uh, yeah. So you really, yeah, you know, you, you got as close as possible in 13 well, without actually 99 and a toenail. Yeah, exactly. In a freaking toenail. But that 14 so i was talking to someone on the 14 usc team uh and i followed up on something you had said earlier and they were like yeah are we happy we didn't have to play we got to play U- oklahoma instead of ucla of course because it, like whenever you play ucla as usc or vice versa there's always more on the match um, yeah. but that could have been a fun one that could have been a yeah. really fun oh one. i i that's one if there was one match i wanted to play it was that one like that finals in georgia um you know what I mean? It's it would have been it would have been a great one. I don't even honestly don't even remember what happened in the the following two days because I was <laughs> so um, I know I know they won it, so I had to like forget they won it. Um, mm-hmm. No, um, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it was a it was interesting. It was it was an interesting one. I had to infiltrate it. I'm not gonna say some of the stuff that I was gonna yeah. say because yeah. I was I, I was gonna I was gonna say a couple of things, but then the more I see people would be pissing me, so I'm just gonna let it flood it. Yeah, keep it keep it PG, especially because I've been I'm gonna, talking to I'm you. Keep it, I'm going to keep it PG. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, again, Drew, <laughs> thank you as always for taking the time to chat. The article on mytennishq.com, Tennis Split Step, a comprehensive guide with videos. Go check it out, crew. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you next week. You too. I'll talk to you next week, man. Take care. All right, take care. Bye. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with my Tennis HQ's Carousel. It's always a good time when we get to chat with him. And again, if you haven't, go check out their website, mytennishq.com. Today's article, Tennis Split Step, a comprehensive guide with videos, as well as all of the interviews they've done, you can find on there. We are so excited at Crack Rackets to be partnered with them. Uh, have a bunch of fun things coming up on the horizon. And of course, if you've missed any of our content over the past couple of weeks, we've been busy here. We try to continue to provide you guys the 
the content you deserve despite there not being much tennis to discuss. Uh, that starts with our YouTube channel, of course, where Super Producer Daniel Westhoff is up to all sorts of incredible things. Uh, you know, our Overserve series, we are now four episodes deep into that content. It's our look at all of the comedy that happens day in, day out on Twitter, Instagram, uh, all these different platforms with these players. They, again, you're trying to look for upsides in all this. We've gotten to see so many tennis players, uh, their creative sides that maybe we didn't know existed before. So if there's any positive to come out, certainly that is one of them. Uh, and of course, we poke fun at all of that and more on the YouTube series, which again, it's three clicks, 30 seconds. As soon as we have a thousand subscribers on the YouTube channel, I will stop asking you. Uh, so go check that out. If you haven't, check out our new series, CR Classics, our look at some of the best matches in tennis history. You can listen to that in podcast form on the Great Shot podcast feed. And of course, you can also find that video with video highlights of the match we're talking about in, uh, weaved in as well. It's it's a fantastic series again, so go check that out on our YouTube channel, which you can find under Cracked Rackets. If you've missed any of the content, the mini breaks we've done over the past week, the Cracked, you know, we've had Andy Katz on, we've had, as I mentioned, Carlos Silva on, we've had Steve Weissman on, Mark Lucero, so many great guests. Go check all of those out. I think they all hold up well. As well, the Cracked interviews we've done with Dennis Kudla, Claire Liu, Bethany Maddox, Sands, Chris Woodruff, and more. Again, go to those podcasts, like, rate, subscribe, review them. Please, please, please share them with your friends as well. And, you know, at this time, we appreciate all of you who, uh, whether it's through an innocuous tweet or an Instagram comment, you leave a review on Apple. Uh, Any support we get at this point is just so greatly appreciated. So thank you so much. Something I appreciate every day, the support I get from my super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff, with the of an editing job they do day in, day out, making me look semi-presentable. Uh, so shout out to those guys. And again, uh, shout out to our Patreon subscribers who, again, all the support we get from them means the world to us. Shout out to our friends at Diadem Sports, where you can go diademsports.com, use that promo code CR50, 50% off. And our friends at Aerobar, use that promo code CRACK30, get 30% off your orders of tennis-specific energy bars. Uh, but with that in mind, that will do it for today's episode for my wonderful guest, Carousel, of my Tennis HQ, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Dragons and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Skruskin, and you know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 